scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Zechariah, Zechariah 10, verses 1 through 5. This is God's word. Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain, from the Lord who makes the storm clouds, and he will give them showers of rain to everyone, the vegetation in the field. For the household gods utter nonsense, and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. For from him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together, they shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and they shall put to shame the riders on horses. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Good morning, church. Good to see all of you. I think we need a new sanctuary. Uh, there, there are some talks, by the way. I didn't mean to share this today, but why not? There, there are some talks, by the way, of uh, the Kim allowing us to use their sanctuary at 9.30, sometime in the new year, uh, which means that um, we would encourage, eventually, a good number of you to shift to the 9.30 slot. Uh, and that might become our main service, quite frankly, because of the space uh, that we've been given. But I guess we shall see uh, that we're in serious conversation right now, and they're very open to the idea. All right. I'd like to introduce a couple of brothers who I met. Or actually, I met one of them today. I, I didn't meet the other one. But uh, first one, Kevin Coe from Texas is joining us for the first time. And he's sitting, well, he, sitting right over there. Uh, let's give Kevin a warm welcome. Glad you can join us. And the brother I didn't meet yet, Austin, sorry if I'm butchering your last name, Stepanu, uh, over on that side. So gives uh, Austin a warm welcome as well. All right, great. When I was living in Korea, uh, once every year in mid to late November, on the day of the National College entrance exam, some of you know what that is, I would witness one of the most strange phenomena. I would see moms, sometimes dads, but mostly moms, lining up against the front entrance of one of the major universities, which I live close to, fervently praying. And you can generally tell who they were praying to because you could, of course, easily tell who the Buddhists were based on their clothing, right? And you can easily tell who the Catholics were, since most of them prayed with their, you know, rosary beads. But at the time, uh, one of the things that was quite common for everyone to do, regardless of what religious tradition you were from, was to take what's called yat in Korean, okay? You could, if you don't know what that is, you can con consider it a solidified syrup, <laughs> which could get very sticky under certain conditions. Yut. It's actually a very tasty uh, candy-like thing. And so, anyway, people would take these blocks of solidified syrup called yut, <laughs> and they would stick them on the walls of the university in hopes that their precious sons and daughters 
would stick and not be rejected by the school. And so at the end of the day, I kid you not, I would see literally hundreds of these blocks of yut stuck on the university. It was a very ugly scene. I was like, wow. I'm not sure if they, they probably don't do it anymore. Uh, I'm, I'm sure the school at one point banned them, but back then it was the case, right? You could see the scene every, every year. Now, it, it was a mix of traditional religious practice, right, praying, as well as culturally informed superstition in full display, right? Sticking yut on the wall. We call that a form of syncretism, right? a mixture of different beliefs or faiths. My purpose for sharing that memory is not so that we could make fun of such people, but it's so that we can recognize that we too are prone to such false practices as well. That's what God's word for us today tells us. Right? Verse 1, ask rain from the Lord. See, the main problem with God's people throughout their history was not that they were not praying to the Lord. The problem was that they were praying to the Lord, but also praying to false gods as well. Again, it's called syncretism, a syncretistic faith. During Zechariah's time, it was common for people to seek rain from the likes of Baal, right? a, a pagan god that you should be familiar with if you study your Bible. But also, there was a great Greek god, Zeus, whom people prayed to. And God's people, unfortunately, were not immune to these cultural norms that pressured them to engage in such practices themselves, which is why God had to speak these kinds of words to them. Ask rain from the Lord. You know, think about it. We're, we're all probably guilty of this kind of syncretistic faith to some degree, right? And it's a big problem because when we practice a syncretistic faith, it begs the question, who are we really placing our trust in at the end of the day, right? You understand? I mean, are we following the teachings of Buddha? Is it Confucius? Or is it the teaching of Jesus? And if you grew up in an Asian culture, you understand the tension. We all grew up in that tension. Who are, who are we really trusting in any way? Let me ask you this. Have any of you paid real close attention at any given moment in your life to what the Chinese zodiac calendar year says about you? Okay? I bet all of you know what animal you are. Okay? Anyone know, don't know what animal they are? Right? Are you an Asian? <laughs> I'm sorry if you're non-Asian, okay? I didn't mean to isolate you. But, uh, and I bet most of you know what traits you're supposed to have as that particular animal and what animal you should or should not marry. I bet some of you were actually taught to care about those things. And it was a fairly large part of my upbringing as well. Not, not that my parents, you know, put it on us, but it was just a cultural thing. In case you're wondering, I'm a rat. Chiti, <laughs> as they say. And not to brag or anything, but the rat is supposed to be the most clever animal of them all. It's the first animal in the zodiac cycle for a reason. But lest I stumble some of you, I'll stop there. 
but I hope you see my point. It's really hard to completely ignore your cultural upbringing. Every culture, culture has something like this. This is one of the reasons why Pastor Jacob really does not like it when people talk about the Myers-Briggs cult. I mean, the Myers-Briggs personality trait thing, the grid, okay? It's because he's seen so many people abuse that thing <laughs> and treat it as some kind of religion, you know? as if it's supposed to define exactly who you are as a person, right? Kind of boxes you in. Some people actually treat it that way. Like, I'm an introvert, so I have to act a certain way, right? I'm an extrovert, so I have to act a certain way. I can't be like that, right? One brother in my CG uh, a couple weeks ago said something very helpful. He said, those are helpful tools, but, you know, healthy people, okay? if you're a spiritually healthy person, you should be able to maneuver fluidly right, through these different categories depending on your you know, uh, social situation or context. Right? You can't be like just stuck in one, one box. If you're an introvert, you've got to be able to act like an extrovert sometimes. Right? If you're an extrovert, you've got to act like an introvert sometimes. You have to have that maneuverability, adaptability. It just it seems like we get so carried away with pretty much anything like, we, we corrupt anything we kind of put our hands on, right? I've seen something as helpful as the five love languages being treated in idolatrous ways as well. As in, if one spouse doesn't meet the righteous standards set by the other spouse based on what the five love language book says, then you've essentially failed as a spouse and there will be no peace in this home until you show me love the way I need to be loved, is sort of the, the mindset. And so there's really never peace because, you know, when have you seen a husband ever fully please the wife or the wife ever please the husband? But it's very different people or different genders play out differently. And so there's always tension. And I'm not saying that there's no insight we were able to glean from these sort of tools, but again, if you treat these things like a religion and make them into an idol, then you'll eventually realize that they're as empty and futile as the blocks of syrup that people plaster on university walls. You see, when God says, ask rain from the Lord, he's at the same time calling us to turn away from all other false gods and false practices, because all of those lead to a confused, syncretistic, or let me put it this way, I'm not sure who I'm actually trusting in, that kind of faith. You may say that you trust in God, right? We all know what to say, but functionally, right, practically speaking, as you live your life, right, you actually end up trusting in something else. Right, the wisdom of the Enneagram, perhaps, or the wisdom of the Zodiac calendar. But you're supposed to be trusting in the Word of God and the Word of God alone. And so that's the problem. Notice how God points out some of the common false practices in those days. For the household gods utter nonsense, and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. The Hebrew word translated as household gods here is the word teraphim. 
okay, teraphim. These were essentially small, portable household idols that were evidently common in the ancient world, right, teraphim. In Genesis 31, for example, we're told that Rachel stole her father Laban's teraphim right, and hid them in her camel's saddle. Remember that story? And in Ezekiel 21, we learn that the king of Babylon relied on all sorts of sorcery and divination, including teraphim. Let me read that verse for us, verse 21. For the king of Babylon stands at the parting of the way, at the head of the two ways, to use divination. He shakes the arrows, right? something he did with the arrows. I don't know what that was, but that's a form of sorcery or divination. It also says he consults the teraphim, right? these portable idols. And it also says he looks at the liver, right? referring to animal organs. Oh my goodness, what do they do with animals? It's like witchcraft. You know, we'd expect this from the unbelieving world, but we as God's people, brothers and sisters, are not supposed to be engaged in anything resembling such divination, sorcery, or witchcraft. I hope you could all agree. Have any of you played around with Ouija boards or tarot card readings? Okay? I wouldn't be surprised if you did it once or twice, but if that's a thing you do, that's a big problem, okay? I noticed the tarot card readings must be becoming more mainstream these days. I've been seeing it more, even on K-dramas, right? I'm not going to tell you which K-drama I'm watching now, but I'm, I'm watching one. It's like it's tarot card readings on like multiple episodes. I'm like, what's going on here? Why is it becoming mainstream? It's not a good phenomenon. Right? Have you ever visited a psychic? I think they use the, these tarot cards, right? Please, please do not engage in such activities, it's not something Christians should partake in, right? even if people just say it's for fun. Let me uh, point you to a couple of verses. Deuteronomy chapter 18. There shall not be found among you anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. Any of you try to inquire of the dead? Want to speak to your dead ancestors or any, anyone sort of dead, like ghosts? God says, don't do that, right? There, there's a real spiritual presence, a spiritual world that we believe in. God says, don't, don't play around with that stuff, right? Isn't that what a Ouija board's about? I had a college friend got into Ouija boards. Like, he was like, something happened in one of their gatherings. Like, he saw something supernatural, and he like, he ran to our, our room and was like, sharing what happened. Like, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> That's my thing. Yeah, this is real. It's real. Like, spiritual things are real. Don't play around with that. Galatians chapter 5. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. And so we're given a list of sins and mentioned sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. And guess what the next one is? Sorcery. Do not, do, do not engage in these things. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, right? Not saying that if you experimented with it once out of curiosity that you're doomed. No, it, says if you, it means if you continue in this kind of sinful activity, unrepentant, then you will not enter into, enter into the kingdom of God. Right? This is contrary to faith. You're not trusting in the Lord, you see. 
And so you may say, Pastor, I, I don't do any of these things. <laughs> and if that's the case, great. But let me reiterate what I hinted at earlier, okay? What we should carefully consider is the essence of the problem behind such practices and why, con why God con condemns them, okay? And the essence of the problem basically boils down to the question of who do we ultimately trust in and worship in this life? That, that's the essence. Right? Don't miss that. And that's why we can kind of go deeper here, exploring what have we done with the Lord in our hearts, right? This, this next point <clears throat> might seem a bit disconnected with the message, but I want to challenge you to think differently about this, okay? You know, um, as, as men get older and closer to midlife, something happens, I mean, it happens to women as well, a little bit later usually, but uh, something happens when men sort of inch closer to, let's say, on average, age 40. Right? They, they tend to uh, want to seek some kind of thrill or have a desire to live on the edge right? because there's some level of regret, perhaps, that they're struggling with in life. You know, they ask the question, is this, is this it? <laughs> is this all there is to life? Have they made all the wrong, you know, right, right choices? Um, they, they kind of feel themselves really dying physically. They were so energetic, filled with, filled with testosterone at some point. Now sort of things are gradually diminishing in their energy level. And they, they feel like they're dying. And they, they want to kind of seek some thrill. They need that sort of boost, right? That dopamine hit at times. And so among other things, I can mention a few other things, but I won't. I'll just keep it to one, right? Among other things, they develop a gambling problem. Many of them do. I, I confess I was tempted to, to download an app, right, and, and kind of involve myself in betting because I thought it would be fun, right? And thankfully, I, I, did, I chose not to do it. Um, and on the surface, right, it may seem like it's about money, but no, it has more to do with our hearts not being fully content in the Lord. Right? Or maybe our disgruntled attitude toward our station in life. And so it really boils down to the question of who are we ultimately trusting in in this life of ours? Brothers, I'm sorry if this hits you <laughs> personally, but have you developed a habit of gambling that, is, that you know is unhealthy? that you know you can't stop right away because it's become an addiction. Wives, if it's clear that your husband is squandering in some way the home finances on a gambling habit, please respectfully confront him, okay? Accent on respectfully. Don't start shouting at him, please. Respectfully confront him. And if need be, ask the church to help and intervene. Like, really, why, why am I hearing that so many people are into sports betting these days, okay? Please do not try to find out who snitched against you or snitched on you, right? Don't. But I'm hearing these things and it's, it's concerning. Someone told me that I should, or we are, as a staff should do a podcast episode on sports betting. 
I personally don't want to, so I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to try to address that issue here briefly, okay? The, the fact that some of you are getting into this unhealthy habit of gambling or sports betting means that your heart is not fully content in the Lord. I've been there. I know how, what that feels like. Right? But getting into these unhealthy habits is not the solution. And just because something is permissible, right, like, I, I'm not here to say that if you gamble, you are, at whatever level, you're definitely sinning. And what, I'm, I'm not willing to make that statement. But let's say, let's say gambling in moderation is permissible. Okay, let, let's just say that. Okay, well, so what? Right? Like, even, if, even though it may be permissible, it doesn't make it beneficial. I don't think it's beneficial for you or your family or your marriage okay, or your church. So let me encourage you to invest in more productive and God-honoring activities that would help you cultivate a deeper faith, a deeper trust, a deeper satisfaction in your Lord and Savior, okay? I'm telling you, habitual gambling is just not good for your soul in the long run, okay? It's not good for your family. It won't be good for your marriage, okay? It won't be good for society as well. Out of all the existing industries in the world, I would say that the gambling industry is one of the, maybe not the most corrupt, but one of the most corrupt industries out there. Okay? It'd be slightly less corrupt than the porn industry, let's say. It ruins so many marriages, so many families. Right? It's a great temptation. And so there's a lot of corruption out there. That kind of in a corrupted spirituality or, or lifestyle, it kind of bleeds into the church. And it, it has this power to also corrupt the church and even its leaders. I mean, look at, look at uh, the end of verse 2 and, and how, how the Lord, he sees this, right? He sees the church being infected by such sin and how he seeks to address it and actually encourage his people in it. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders, for the Lord of hosts cares for his flock. Might not initially sound that encouraging here, but... <laughs> Notice what he's saying. Think about what he's saying carefully. You know, we're told that the sheep are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. And so they're, they're wandering. They're lost. The sheep are lost. Right? You're, you're, you're like dabbling in all these silly, frivolous activities. You're lost, essentially, spiritually. You're not, who, you're not sure who you're trusting in. Are you trusting in Jesus, really? But your lifestyle doesn't seem to reflect that. So you're lost. That's what, that's what God's saying. And it says it's because for lack of a shepherd. Now, understand, this doesn't mean that there are no shepherds at, <laughs> at the helm. It doesn't mean that there's no shepherds to be found. No, it means that these shepherds who are there, called to oversee the flock, they have failed. <laughs> they have miserably failed in their responsibilities, either because they themselves have been corrupted. Right? They're, they're promoting the same kind of false teachings, or they just chosen to remain silent 
and they just want to give people what they, they want to hear, right? Give, give to the people what they want to hear. Don't stir up any controversy is also a common prevailing attitude among leaders. I know what that feels like too. And so how, how is this encouraging? Well, it, see, I, I know that a good number of you have been severely afflicted by your former leaders. I hope it's not your present leaders, okay? <laughs> if I've afflicted you in, a, in an unhealthy way, please let me know. I will, I will apologize immediately. But I, I know a good number of you have been afflicted severely by your past leaders. They were supposed to act like your shepherds, like your loving, faithful shepherds, but they have failed you. You know, if, if, you, if you haven't listened to Pastor Andrew's testimony from the podcast yet, please take some time to do so. It's a very illuminating testimony, not just to get to know him, but just, I mean, it's amazing. I was amazed. I, I didn't know a lot about him, actually. I kind of feel embarrassed about it, but as I was listening to his testimony and hearing about how he was afflicted by his former leaders, something stirred up in me, like anger. You know, we also have an episode coming up on how to identify cults. I think it's coming out this week. So you should listen to that as well because we share some stories of how spiritual shepherds tend to abuse their flock. And I tell you, you know, if, if, you've, if you've been abused to a certain degree, you become devastated to a point where you kind of want to run away from God. <laughs> a sort of a normal human response. And so it's amazing how some of you are still here, right? Like identifying as a Christian. I mean, that in itself is a miracle. That is an act of God's grace in your life. The grace of God that preserved you, right? To continue to walk with the Lord. But a lot of people, they just flee. Like, I'm tired. I'm, I'm done with this. I've been abused in the past. I'm going to run as far as I can away from the Lord. And so when I hear stories of spiritual abuse, I, I do sense anger rising up from my heart. But at the same time, I must confess, these stories of abuse keep me humble as well because I know that I'm also not immune to such sins. And so this is one big reason why you should continue to pray for your leaders. See, we're not immune to these kinds of sins. Pray that we would not abdicate our God-given responsibilities to properly care for you. But here's why you should all be encouraged today, okay? especially those who have been hurt by their leaders in the past, okay? Don't forget, uh, God's intention through Zechariah is to rebuild his people. And so how does he do it here? Well, he does it by saying that he will, without a doubt, hold these leaders accountable in the end. In other words, no one is going to get away with any of the abuses they committed. They will be held accountable. I remember a sister who came up to me many years ago expressing deep concern over certain practices that, were, that was going on in a church where many of her friends were attending. And this church was 
far removed from my circle of influence, and so I, I couldn't do much, actually. Um, and all I could really do was encourage her to, to share her concerns with her friends, what she thought was inappropriate or even wrong, flat out wrong. But I also remember clearly stating that our sins, right, especially the ones committed by our church leaders, they will eventually be found out because God will expose them in his time. And that's exactly what happened. After a year or two, the leadership got exposed, the church had to close its doors, and their abuse had to be addressed publicly. Brothers and sisters, that, that is what our passage clearly states. So if, if you've been hurt by any of your leaders in the past, of course, do what you can to confront them. But in the end, know that God's promise to hold false shepherds and false teachers accountable, right? know that he promises to do so and also to properly care for his flock. In other words, again, no one is going to get away with an unrepentant or an unresolved sin. God will always find a way to care for his flock in the end. So never, never let the shortcomings of spiritual leaders cause you to leave the faith altogether. Rather, continue to seek his care because God promises to care for you. With that said, though, we all need to learn how to be more discerning as God's people, okay? Um, in the episode coming out soon about the cults, one thing I remember hearing repeatedly is the fact that people who are in cults have a very difficult time knowing that they're actually in one, okay? And I wanna simply say there that, look, it may be very difficult to know that you're in a cult, but it's not impossible. It's not impossible. I think it becomes really hard to detect false teaching and false teachers when we become so emotionally entangled with leaders and members in the church, when we kind of give ourselves, open our, up ourselves, make ourselves vulnerable, and have a really general relationship with them. Of course, it, be, it becomes hard because we can really no longer think purely logically or rationally, right? That's sort of the weakness of, of I guess, relationships. Once we kind of get ourselves involved, it's, it's hard to think, you know, with cold rationality. And, you know, I'm not here saying that you should therefore never be relationally involved with people. Of course not. You should be, right? But you need to learn how to step back and think rationally about your leaders during key moments. And if you know that's not your strength, you need to ask help from people who, who have that gift. Right? Some people are just more gifted. And so let me, let me help you in this area. I, I, I think I need to offer some guideline here. Um, here are some good questions to ask yourselves as a diagnostic test when assessing churches and their leaders. Okay? Uh, for time's sake, I'm just going to mention three today, all right? Number one, ask yourselves this. Are you asked to blindly submit to your leaders or to blindly submit to the authority of the church rather than to Christ who builds his church? Where is the accent placed? 
Is there a call for blind submission to, to leaders? Right? No questions asked. You can't challenge them. That's a problem. If that's the case, you have to do a very close examination of what's actually happening. Right? Examine the ecclesiology of the church, the doctrine of the church, like how, how your leaders view church authority and structure in relation to Scripture and God, okay? That's an important question. That's, that's number one. Number two, are you being led to trust in extra-biblical revelation, meaning revelation outside of Scripture, Rather than the direct revelation which comes from God's word, where is the accent placed? I've noticed because uh, I'm not, you should be aware, but Northern Virginia is heavily influenced by a lot of charismatic teachings, okay? And one thing I noticed when I moved down here from uh, Philly is that a lot of these young students, they were taught to rely heavily on extra-biblical revelation. It's like they go to a retreat or a, you know, a prayer gathering, and all they're looking for is who can pray prophecy over me, right? Extra-biblical, who can speak extra-biblical revelation over me? And so over time, they, they never end up growing in their knowledge of Scripture, right? They don't become students of God's Word, His revealed revelation, right? Is that redundant? They don't, they don't become students of God's revelation in his word, I should say. Rather, they become experts of just going from the next so-called prophet to the other. Say, can you pray? Oh, I'm, how did you know? Right? How did you know? They say, what is that? It's, it's, a, it's like a Christian psychic sort of thing. That's number two. Right? What, what flavor does the ministry have? Thirdly, are you being led to trust in man's righteousness, whether it be your own righteousness or in the righteousness of others, or are you led to trust in Jesus' righteousness and in his righteousness alone? Right? In other words, are you being taught to cultivate a work-based spirituality? Like, I gotta do more. I gotta, I gotta, do, I gotta do this. I gotta do that, right? Because... You know, God's never going to be pleased with me. I've got I to meet these requirements. Oh, my goodness, my leader's asking me to do this now, right? So tiring. <laughs> Is there any freedom? Is there any joy in, in the Christian life? There ought to be. <laughs> but is there a constant, you know, guilt and shame placed on you for not being good enough? Don't you know that you're accepted in Christ already? And it's not done through your Righteousness, it's, it's a righteousness that is alien. Jesus' righteousness coming to you, given to you, granted to you as a gift, you see. Let me share one more thing before I close the message uh, that's meant to serve as, I would say, our greatest encouragement for today. Let me read from verse three and following. For the Lord of hosts, cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. From him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all them together. They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. So the greatest encouragement 
is that God promises to raise up a cornerstone from Judah. Right? God is saying that the way he will ultimately care for his people is by establishing Jesus Christ to serve, not as some flimsy foundation like the ones false teachers build their ministries upon, but as our sure and unshakable foundation on which our lives are built upon, which in the end, brothers and sisters, make us indestructible and imperishable. If you stand on the rock of Christ, you are made imperishable. You see, the Lord cares for us by laying down his life for us and becoming the very foundation through which our futures are made secure, no matter what may happen in this life of ours. See, the false gods and the false teachers of this world, they, they seek to destroy you by abusing you until you, you become so broken you want to run away from God. But the Lord, our Lord, he cares for us by giving his very life for us and making us this indestructible and imperishable people. And notice that in the earlier verses, see, we're described as sheep, right? We're described as dumb, weak, passive, defenseless sheep, basically one of the lowest animals on the food chain. But in the latter verses, we're described as majestic steed in battle and like mighty warriors who are part of the final victory. There's a transformation that takes place here in this text. So brothers and sisters, let's repent of our idolatry and our tendency to latch on to the things of this world that only leads to a confused, syncretistic, I'm not sure who I really trust in actually in this life kind of faith. Instead of living like that, we're to pray to God alone. Ask for rain from the Lord alone. Not to the modern day versions of Baal or Zeus. Not even through Mother Mary we should go. But through one mediator, Jesus Christ. He is the only one we should pray through. He is our only true mediator. And because he is our foundation, we don't have to worry about what will happen to us in this life, okay? He has our back. Though life is hard, we will be fine in the end. So take heart. Right, let's continue to trust in him alone as we journey together in this life, amen? Next Sunday, we will be celebrating Christmas together, okay? The fact that we're not offering any childcare during nine o'clock, I hope you got the nudge, okay? It means that all of you should try to attend the joint service, okay? <laughs> Do your best to attend the joint service. It's supposed to be a celebration with the church all together, okay? But soon after that service, we're gonna be celebrating the new year together, right? And guess what? With the new year, there's gonna be many new challenges. Many new challenges. Let's expect it. But instead of facing those challenges as timid sheep, let's face them like majestic steed and courageous warriors who have nothing to fear because we stand together on Christ who is our foundation, our sure rock, our cornerstone. Amen? Can't hear you. Amen? Yes. All right, thank you. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, as we 